Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Unplayable Podcast in quarantine. And on this episode, we've got Shane Watson. Welcome, Shane. Thanks so much for having me. Mate, uh, tell us how you've been spending this isolation and what has been a pretty crazy time around the world. Yeah, it certainly has been, um, yeah, an unprecedented, unprecedented time. Um, well, my isolation started coming straight back from the Pakistan Super League. I had two weeks of total isolation um, just in my in my home. And it maybe from a, just an exercise perspective, it made me realize that I can walk around my house for <laughs> an hour with a podcast in my ears and... <laughs> and get a bit of exercise done um, but also you know it, it's been enforced quality family time so in that regard it's actually been it's been a really beautiful time in that regard um, it's obviously horrendous what's going on around the world and everyone we're all doing our part to be able to stay safe and um, try and limit the the spread but um, from a family point of view that yeah it's been it's been amazing quality time so we certainly have made the most of that. There's been some challenging times. The yeah. homes, homeschooling, <laughs> homeschooling is, um, I, I definitely can't say that I've done heaps of it. I've done a bit. Um, Lee, my wife, is the one who's been um, doing the hard yards with that. So it's certainly not, it's a different challenge becoming a teacher all of a sudden, especially with your kids yeah. who can talk back and try, <laughs> and try to, whereas at school they really can't get away with it. So, Where's but, the um, respect for Mr. Watson? Surely. <laughs> Not with dad, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just been different experiences. And that's the the beauty of life is you just don't know what's around the corner. And no one ever expected to have an experience like this. I never did in my life yeah. um, of a proper lockdown. So it's just, it makes you more, it makes you have to adapt yeah. in yeah. any way you possibly can. You tweeted out a great pic of your daughter up a tree with your phone. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> she's a massive yeah she's an amazing climber she loves she loves climbing so yeah she somehow i don't know how how she did it but and then she knows how to flick flick the um flick the screen up to be able to get the camera and she there's a couple others where she actually like took some selfies and put screen filters on them well she's only four guys they just know the technology enough and she knows and she knows the password to my phone because it's not that hard to sort of work out whereas leaves is a little bit difficult so Anyway, as I said, we've had we've had a lot of fun as a family. Well, that serves you right for making your password four zeros. You've got to change it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not revealing exactly what it is, but it's <laughs> it's easy it's it's easier for them to work out. <laughs> uh, but you've been keeping busy because you've launched this new website called mm. t20stars.com. Uh, it's all about giving back and showing the um, how to learn uh, and what you've learned over the years and passing it on to to um, upcoming players and everyone around the world. I guess can you just tell us. A little bit about that because uh, there's blogs, vlogs. You've even got your own podcast on there, which we'll touch on in a bit. But uh, it's yeah. a great resource, isn't it? I've always wanted to, to help people, and that's you know, I've been so fortunate throughout my my career to play with so many of the great players that's ever played um, cricket for not just in Australia but throughout the world, playing in in the IPL as well. Um, so in that regard, I've learned so much. I've always always wanted to learn as much as I can from everyone that's around me. So, and now I'm, I'm at a stage where um, I want to be able to pass that, pass that knowledge on to every 
person who wants to learn as much as they as they can about about cricket and the um, intricacies of, of cricket, and especially T20 cricket, because that's where in the last four four or five years that's really at the forefront of my mind because that's all I've been playing. So mm. um, yeah, it's it's just a way for me to be able to really get out without having to meet one on one personally with um, with people is to be able to get my thoughts and my experiences and the you know the different I suppose tricks of the trade that I've I've learned and developed and, and learnt from you know the greatest players that have some of the greatest players that have played. So and I just find it I find the business and the learning about how to set how to set up a, a website, obviously I've had help with the website, but just how to be able to integrate and navigate my way through, um, you know, writing and, and doing my own, shooting my own video blogs, which I've, which I've found challenging, but thanks to YouTube, there's so many different <laughs> tutorials on there to be able to help, you know, in anything that you want to do and my podcast as well. And that for me, my podcast has been the most exciting, one of the most, well, yeah, the most exciting thing I've probably nearly done in my whole life yeah. um, to be able to, um, talk to and dig deeper into like the minds of these great players. And one, one in particular that, which will be coming up is, is Brett Lee, who um, is one of my best mates. And there are some things that he talked about in the interview that I actually didn't know Yeah, right. about how he like his, you know, the, his mental perspective um, and the lessons, the things that really worked for him and what didn't work there's a number of things he revealed. I'm like, what? That's it's sad that it actually gets to doing an interview like that to yeah. be able to really have to tap into. So everyone who listens to it, there's going to be, there is amazing insights. And every time I do an interview, I'm just I'm like on top of the world because I just feel this, these got bits of gold and that everywhere throughout every podcast um, episode, everyone's just going to get so much out of it that unless you, again, unless you are fortunate enough to be able to get to know these people, like for me, Sir Viv Richards, yeah. Like I've been fortunate enough to be able to have him as my mentor with um, Quetta Gladiators for the PSL for the last couple of years. So I've been able to have the chance to be able to like, ask every question I've ever wanted to ask of him. <laughs> but you know, for the people who haven't, aren't fortunate enough to be able to connect with him in that regard, they can listen to the podcast and really find out just about a lot of the information that I've been fortunate enough to be able to um, get from him over the last couple of years. That, that uh, Viv Richards podcast, I mean, you start off with one of the biggest names ever in cricket. Uh, mm. Good way to launch it. But my three takeaways from that chat was really well done. Um, he's really, he's naturally talented, but he also worked really hard at his skills. Mm. Um, he knew how good he was. I think you talk about how he was really good in, uh, in the field, in close, but he also sort of mentioned that he was really good on the boundary sweeping as well, to sort of put that in there. Yeah. And he can pretty much remember every nightclub he's been to. Uh, where, <laughs> and I was going, Otto, get into that. I want to hear some more stories about the nightclub, but might not be appropriate. But yeah, no, it, it, no, yeah, it, it's definitely. I'm, I'll put the censored version up. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> he, there's no doubts of him had an amazing time on and off the field. Um, yeah, throughout throughout his career. So yeah, I didn't. That's I didn't want to go into those lessons learned. <laughs> wow, mate, that's a whole other podcast. I think you yeah. could definitely um, look to that one. Uh, yeah. What was it like chatting to Viv, and what were your sort of big takeaways from him? Gosh, there's a number, and yeah, a number, and there have been throughout um, the time of talking to him. Look, the one that that really stands out is the belief that the men, the mental aspect of how he, why he was so good. Um, and the belief that he just always had and instilled because he said, if you don't have the belief, no one else does. So, um, so that deep down belief, I just thought fascinating. I, I also the, what he took onto the field, the, 
the passion and love that he had for the game that he was you know willing to put everything on the line to to perform and to be you know perform against the best bowlers in in the world so i found that fascinating um and i'd say that the last thing that i found most fascinating as well is he talked about the reason why he chewed chewing gum yeah i was going to bring that up yeah and that i find like when you when i watched him you know when i was when i was younger you just think okay he's just chewing chewing gum because it looks cool, but he did it because it actually got in it. He got him. It was a persona that he, that he um, portrayed, but yeah. also it got him in a rhythm of his bat tapping. And so it, so it kept him present. So I found that absolutely fascinating. So why a technique was simple technique to be able to use from mental skills aspect that, that he used and he couldn't, it, you know, he knew if he had, if he didn't have it, he wasn't going to have that same rhythm. Yeah. Super cool. I think uh, Marnus Lubbershane's taken up the chewing gum, hasn't he? He's been doing that this summer. It's worked for him. Yeah, absolutely. Different people have different techniques, but that was one that I had no idea that that's the reason why some people do it. Um, and Saviv certainly worked for him pretty well. <laughs> How good would have Saviv been playing T20 cricket? Oh, blows you away, doesn't it? Like I, the, the statistic for me that stands out the most for Saviv is all around his strike rate in one-day cricket. That's the thing that just blows me away. His strike rate was 89 um, and averaged, you know, it was a mid, mid 40s mm. at a time where, you know, gosh, the best players around him would were, were probably have their strike rate of 70, 70 runs per 100 balls. And Viv was at 89. Mm. It's just it's so before his times. So imagine what he would have done in, gosh, in T20 cricket. Holy gosh. <laughs> would have been so cool. Fearless player, Tom, I and he faced some of the fastest bowlers in the world mm. with no helmet either. Like, mm. he was just uh, an incredible player. Uh, yeah. And your, your game, uh, because I think you've spoken about this before, that you had to adapt um, your game from the way you were positioned in the Australian side. Like, that 2007 World Cup, you were sort of coming in mm. as a finisher, so you had to learn how to find the boundary, become an explosive player, and it turned out um, to be a masterstroke because then you became one of the more dominant T20 players in the history of the, of the game. Uh, how did you get your head around having to shift that focus about your role in the team and, and then advancing those skills? You look in, in that regard, when I look back on it, that was a, it was a perfect storm. The opportunities that I've, that I got when I first came into the Australian team was wholly and solely around my bowling and my bowling. I felt deep down that my bowling was underskilled compared to my, compared to my batting my general batting, not my hitting yeah. anyway. Um, and that was where my opportunities were, was in the one day team when I first came in, when I was, you know, when I was 20 was bowling as many overs as I could with that. I, well, as the captain wanted me to, if I, <laughs> without getting smashed um, and batting because the batting lineup was so incredibly strong. Like I hardly batted. And if I did, I was batting at seven and eight and I knew that my opportunity was, okay, well, this is where it is right now. I need to be able to become one. I need to improve my bowling skills so I can hold my place as a bowler or primarily, but then my batting skills, I need to work on my power game because I, that's one thing that I don't have. My game has been built around having a um, low, lower risk um, batting, batting style. Um, and I just thought that would work. Um, it didn't in four day cricket when I was playing first class cricket, but you know, when you go up and you're batting at seven and eight, you need to find the boundary that certainly didn't work. So and again, was, I was so fortunate to have Mike Young, who was a, a, a fielding coach, an amazing fielding coach uh, with the Aussie team, but really helped me from a, a power hitting perspective to develop the baseball sort of power swing. Yeah. And, um, and that's what I worked on from, from 2003, really, through to 2007 in the lead up to that, to that World Cup. 
it took me four years to be able to really groove it and get it. So against some of the best bowls in the world, I felt like I could, if I was, if they bowled a loose ball, I could put it away. And then, yeah, then it was, as I said, it was a perfect storm because NT20 exploded then after the 2007 World Cup and I was primed with my bowling the way it evolved, my batting the way it had, it had evolved as well. So yeah, it's just, you've got to try and take the opportunities, even if it's not exactly how you want it to be, you've got to make the most of those opportunities when you can to be able to develop a skill or develop a thing in your life because you never know when it might all come together and you're just the right place at the right time like it was for me. It's funny how your career sort of changed in terms of power because you started off as a really quick bowler running in and bowling as fast as you could and you weren't as powerful as a batter, but by the end of it, you weren't as quick as a bowler, but you were more powerful as a batter. Amazing, isn't it, how, how things um, sort of turned around in that regard. But well, I suppose when it comes to my bowling, the reason why, I suppose one reason why my, my speed went down was one, because I was trying to, one, trying to stay fit. Uh, when I was younger, I was bowling, trying to bowl as fast as I could. My technique certainly wasn't as good. And that which is a reason why I had more back injuries because mm. I had you know, a fair bit of extra rotation that, I didn't, that I, my body couldn't absorb. Um, but again, like there's only a few people, there's only been a few people really throughout their whole career, if they had a long career, that they can bowl at maximum speed, whatever your maximum speed is for throughout your whole career. And that's, that, that's a thing that absolutely you know, blows me away for the guys who've been able to manage their body well enough genetically gifted enough as well to be able to bowl flat out just about throughout the whole career and hold their speed. Someone like Mitch Johnson stands out, which is just yeah. phenomenal even through, you know, right at the end of his career. He was able to maintain, maintain his pace. Uh, Brett Lee was another one as well, which is just, it blows me away because I knew my body just couldn't handle it and I had to find different ways to be effective. Yeah. Uh, give us a bit of a, a teaser. Who else we can expect to, on the podcast? <laughs> well, Brett Lee, Brett Lee will be coming up, um, soon fairly soon um and the one that's that's going to be coming up um over the over the next week is Yuvraj Singh oh. and yeah and Yuvraj his story obviously is is phenomenal his life story is phenomenal yeah. um the adversity that he faced uh, but also the heights that he scaled as well um especially you know the 2007 T20 World Cup 2011 World Cup at home uh, man of the series so it's yeah there's so many phenomenal insights and he's so he's so beautifully articulate as well so he just he explains it really well so everyone's going to get i got so much out of it everyone's going to you know going to get so much out of it as well please tell me a touch on the six sixes of course yeah <laughs> still broad I mean, australian fans will love hearing that i'm yeah. sure <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, and just to finish off, off the t20stars.com, mm -hmm. I mean, you've got lots of um, pieces of advice on there, but if you're telling mm -hmm. a youngster who's coming up who maybe wants to start playing t20 cricket, that's their format. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the, just the basic principles that you would advise them? What's some of the key pieces of advice you'd give them? Yeah, look, the, the first thing, there's no doubt you need to have a, a just a, a basic foundation technically, whether it's bowling, batting and in the field as well. Um, but then it's just understanding what skills that you need to develop for for yourself to be able to get the best out of you as a t20 player if it's everyone needs to have a power game um and and everyone's power game is slightly different some guys their power game they can stand there and hit the ball out of the ground some guys have to have a power game but it's more so hitting the ball into the gaps and if they get right out of the middle it goes for six um so just understand exactly what you need but you definitely need to develop um, the power game and bowling wise you need 
your very like skilled variations that you just got to practice a lot, whether it's a Yorker, whether it's a change of pace, um, whether it's just your stock ball, having that to, to bank in. And then it comes down to mental skills. And that's one of the, the things that will, well, I know how powerful that is and how important that is your mental skills, but just understanding how to be unlock your mindset as well as you can to be able to get the best out of you, out of yourself. And that's one thing through the podcast series as well. That's one thing that continues to reinforce every one that I talk to. Yeah, of course, that technically works so hard on their game. But the reason why they were so great mm. is because of their mental skill development and what they're able to find and then just locked into it. And everyone who listens to it, to the various um, episodes will realize that there's a pretty common sort of thing, um, theme that goes through the mental skills. And a lot of it comes down to knowing exactly what your best performance mindset set is and just getting there and sticking to it and allowing everything else to bounce off you. And if all else fails, just start chewing some gum. It's as easy as that. That's right. To stay present. <laughs> that's right. Get some chewing gum. That's uh, <laughs> d20stars.com. Head there. Lots of great stuff. Blogs, blogs, and the podcast. If you haven't listened to the Serbian one, definitely get on there and have a listen. And also stay tuned for the uncut version. I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> they won't come. <laughs> <laughs> um, while you've been keeping busy with that, you're also um, ACA president. I'll just touch on this quickly, mm. but uh, what's been happening uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic and Australian mm. cricket, but how are the players feeling um, throughout this outbreak? Yeah, look, it's a challenging time across everyone. And I think the, the most important thing more than anything is just everyone's mental mental health um, because because it's just it's such a different time to, to anything that everyone, anyone has ever experienced. So, um, yeah, that's the, you know, one of the main concerns is making sure that everyone um, in these uncertain times is, um, is mentally as, um, as healthy as they possibly can be. Um, and just, you know, everything that has, has arisen out of it, like anything, there's, there's, there are always different challenges that are thrown um, at whether it's a playing group, whether it's at, at Cricket Australia, and we've all, because we're all together on this, we're all got to work through it as well as we possibly can. Um, you know, the, the players, um, we we are all partners in the game, and we just we have to we always partners means you got to work through the different challenges, the different things that that arise, um, good and bad, and that's exactly what we're exactly what we're doing. Nobody knows what the summer is going to look like, but have, have you spoken to the players about possibly playing in front of no crowds again or, you know, moving the, the schedule around? Does that all open up, up for grabs? Yeah, look, I haven't spoken to players, um, you know, personally about exactly, you know, what the summer is going to look like. Um, but just knowing, even from my perspective, playing in front of, whether you're playing in front of crowds or you're not, you just do what you have to do to be able to provide the entertainment that we're here to provide. Yep. And if it, if it is just for the people at home, then of course that's that's what you have to do, and you have to be inspired and inspired enough to not be reliant on a big crowd to be able to bring your best performance. Mm. So um, so they're the different challenges that is it in from a cricket perspective is a, is a great thing. These different things, the situations you arise, you just got to be more flexible, more understanding around. Okay, well, things are slightly different to what I'm used to, but you know what. I've got to use as a learning experience to be able to know how to be able to get the best out of myself. So who, yeah, we, everything's, everything's uncertain. Everything's unknown at the moment, exactly how things are going to look the next six months, 12 months. Um, but again, everyone's just, that's life does throw challenges at you. Everything doesn't just always go perfectly you know, along a, a very smooth trajectory. So, um, you know, everyone's got to adapt as well as they possibly can. And I guess that means, like you said before, everyone working together because the only way that Australian cricket's going to get through this is if it's kind of on a united front and we all 
pitching together and then hopefully get some cricket playing later this year. Yeah, exactly. It's we have to. Everyone's everyone's in it together. We all yeah, absolutely love the game of cricket. We love and everyone is so appreciative of how fortunate we are to to be profession from professional cricket point of view to be able to you know better pay um, play the game that we absolutely love. Um, get get looked after very well financially in that as well. So again, we're just we're in it we're in it together. Now you mentioned it before that you made your debut at just twenty years old. There were some very bright blonde locks at twenty years old, Shane Watson. Do you think yeah. at that point your debut over there in South Africa were you ready then? Did you feel like you had the game ready to play at the national level? No way. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Look, I, I of course I always, always dreamed of playing for Australia, um, and I knew what I had was different in a way that being a fast bowling all rounder, there wasn't that many in Australian cricket um, at that time. There's a few, but there wasn't heaps. Um, throughout the world, there wasn't heaps as well. So I knew the, the raw component of what I had was, was a bit different. But, oh, no, from like oh, going into that team and going into that squad, I deep down knew exactly where my skills were at. And then like seeing the guys at training, seeing Matt Hayden at his absolute peak, Ricky Pony is absolute peak, Glenn McGrath at his absolute peak, um, oh gosh, everyone, Adam Gilchrist, Shane yeah. Warren, like Damian Martin, Justin Langer, like everyone was at their absolute peak. And these guys are the, some of the world's best players ever. Mm-hmm. And on this young guy coming going, oh, my skills are nowhere near that. So I absolutely felt like an imposter. I was like, how? I need help. <laughs> <laughs> I need help now because I need to get my, I need to develop my skills really quickly because I'm way away from any, like my teammates. But that's the thing, that's the thing that drove me as well. It was like, that's the obsession that I had um, in the nets. And I did overtrain, um, which at the time was a great thing because it meant that I was developing my skills as quickly as I possibly could. But there's always a downside when you're overtrain is then, you know, it enhanced my chance of getting injured, which I did <laughs> get injured a bit. But, you know, you, you do have to put in the, the time and, and go to the extreme to be able to get your skills up to a point where you feel comfortable enough in your surroundings and it took me it definitely took me a few years i was going to say you sort of your voice in any, any field gets louder the longer you've been in it right so mm-hmm. and you're a vocal player towards the end of your career as a senior player how much did you say when you first entered that camp as a 20 year old were you just a mute in the corner oh yeah nothing no like i remember getting on the plane to fly over to south africa for my first tour and I was just like in awe of, like, I can't believe I'm actually in the same squad. Like I know I'm not good enough, but there's Steve Waugh. He's the captain of the, the test squad. There's Steve Waugh. I've idolized him growing up. Like there's Mark Waugh. No way. And he, I use Slazenger because Mark Waugh is my favorite, my favorite player. I love the way he batted. Yeah. And like, there's Ricky Ponding. Gosh, I want to play a pool shot like that. <laughs> and it just kept going. There's Shane Warne. No way. He's the greatest bowler that's like ever played. And th- so that's just how it was. And I was like, it just doesn't seem, it seems like an absolute dream. Um, so I was just, yeah, very fortunate to be able to have a chance to be able to tap into. And I just asked so many, like, hopefully I did it very politely and didn't annoy you know, these guys too much. Um, but I just, it was such an incredible resource to be able to just politely, you know, ask about how these guys went about their game to develop and what their technical keys were, you know, mentally. So, and even just learning from watching them was just, gosh, I was so, I was so fortunate. And then in time, you get a bit more, a little bit more confidence. But you just know where, you know, where the bound, you know, where the boundaries are when when to speak up. But but also that taught me 
the beauty of growing up in that environment was it really made, it taught me how the right way to play is whether that's on the field and off the field, whether that's as a, as a team unit, as a culture that you're building. Um, and that's what I got taught from the, one of the greatest teams that have, you know, have played cricket throughout the world was that, was that, um, you know, was that era and that generation. And I got taught from, from the, you know, from the best people. And that's why towards the end of my career, I became more vocal because I just knew what, how I got, how I got taught how to, how to play on and off the field. And if things weren't exactly, you know, exactly, how I got taught, then I was willing to sort of to push back to try and you know, get it back to what I what I knew mm. by experience. You know, really worked. Oh three World Cup, you're picked in that squad. Injury ruled mm. you out of it. A couple of years later, you make your Test debut um, mm. in January against Pakistan. And then, can you think back to what it was like? First of all, playing that that first Test match. Yeah, look, to play, to play my first. Well, to get my baggy green um, was was a dream was a dream come true. And at the SCG, which is has always been one of my favourite grounds, like you know, watching you know watching the cricket growing up, just seeing those beautiful stands and the the ladies stands and the members stands in the background, like it, it was a, it was a dream come true. Um, but once you get there, you just realise that okay, I've, I've been fortunate enough to play one test. Now you know what I want to want to be really good at this. Um, so and that's what you know continued to drive me. And then things just it just opportunities opened up at the at the right time australia were even with the great team that they had they were always on the lookout for an all-rounder especially a fast bowling all-rounder so you know the opportunities that i've got i got even from the first test match was because australia were just looking for that fast bowling all-rounder um and it, but it wasn't until it wasn't until I suppose it was the 2000, 2009 Ashes where I got the opportunity after the, you know, in the third test. Well, that was a huge turning point to be able to get an opportunity to be able to, one, play an Ashes test because you're away, which you always dreamed of doing. You know, watching the, the Ashes series, I remember the 89 Ashes that I watched, you know, there's only little parts of. <clears throat> there's only little parts of that you could watch, but I listened to it on the radio um, and I remember just, oh, how cool would this be to be able to actually be a part of, um, you know, to play an Ashes test away and then you know, opening the batting out of nowhere, really, um, that Ricky Ponting gave me the opportunity to be able to open the batting in that third test match in Ed Baston. Edge Baston was just mentally, I was at my absolute peak at that, at that time and like anything, the opportunity's great and it's amazing, but you need to be at the right place to be able to capitalise on that opportunity as well. And I was fortunate enough that I, you know, that I was at that time. Uh, we touched on the 07 World Cup, but uh, your first World Cup win there, what did that mm. mean to you? And, and you played some pretty significant uh, knocks down the lower order there um, to get us straight over the line. Yeah, when the first, the 2003 World Cup, where I sort of came in the lead up to that and then got injured, like I didn't, you know, didn't appreciate the four years that it took in between. Um, and also, of course, I was disappointed when I, didn't, when I wasn't fit to play in the 2003 or be in the squad for the 2003 World Cup. But the 2007, I, I knew how much of water had gone under the bridge in the lead up to, to that World Cup. So I certainly did not take it for granted at all. And then the chance to be able to, to, be, able to be on the field and contribute like, like I did in a, in a couple of games in particular. And then you know, to be able to be involved in, in the squad when we won, when we won that game, uh, won the final. Against Sri Lanka in the in the pitch black was mm. um was something super special and the support that I got all the way along, especially from Ricky Ponting in particular, he always believed 
in, he always believed in me in every, in every aspect. He believed in me more than I believed in myself. He could see things that I, I couldn't see in myself as well. And I remember walking around the ground after we'd won um, with the trophy and just him saying um, how happy he was that I was here, here with him um, after knowing that I missed the previous one. Um, and just knowing that that was support that I had got and continued to get through my career from one of our greatest players, but also uh, you know, one of the great captains as well. Was, was made it even more special to be a part of. Ricky Ponning, the best captain you played under? Ricky Ponning, you had to get the absolute best out of him for sure. He was, he was phenomenal. Look, I was very fortunate to be able to play under a lot of very good captains. Shane Warne and I played with him, um, under him for the Rajasthan Royals for four years. Mm. He was a phenomenal captain. There is no question. Tactically, tactically on and off the, on the field, um, from, a, from a man management point of view, incredible. So he was, you know, for, him, for me, Ricky Ponning and Shane Warne were, were my favourite captains because I just knew what exactly how to be able to like, pull the right string to be able to like, elevate my performance. And that was something, yeah, very special. So both of those um, were, were very special in their, yeah, well, not in their own way because they just had incredible man management skills and tactically, uh, they, tactically they, were, they were very good as well. Well, and, they played, and they played okay. <laughs> they were pretty good players as well. <laughs> Two of our greatest players have ever played. So it's very fortunate. Uh, that away IPL, the first IPL, like you said, Warren is your captain at Rajasthan. You absolutely blaze the tournament. You're a um, player of the tournament in the title winning side. How much did that change your career? Because all of a sudden, um, Shane Watson's now the premier limited overs all-rounder and I guess getting exposed like that in India of all places must have done wonders for your career. Yeah, it, it did. There's no doubt. And that was a huge catalyst for the next, the next stage of my career um, up until that 2008 um, IPL. Like I, I'd, been, I'd been injured on and off for probably four or five years and there's no doubt um, Australian cricket started to get frustrated with me and I was getting frustrating. I was the most frustrated because I, I wanted to play. I wanted to play consistently and, and get better and, and show off my skills that I'd been working on. So um, to be able to have a chance, I wasn't in the Australian squad at that time, of course, because I'd been injured and um, you know, other people had had an opportunity and made the most of, um, made the most of that. So it was a, it was a chance for me to be able to play an international quality tournament without playing for Australia. And then, you know, being involved with Shane Warne, who wasn't playing international cricket, so he, his, his undivided attention was absolutely a Rajasthan rules as the captain coach. Um, and the way my game had evolved, the things I'd worked on physically to be able to manage my body that much better. And I had like a year, really a year lead up to that IPL in 20, uh, 2008 of getting my body right. Yeah. I you know, worked tirelessly with... Um, with a guy from um, from Brisbane, a guru, a guru um, Vic, Victor Popov, who just gave me his undivided attention as well to be able to work through what I needed to do to be able to get more balance in my body, be um, build more resilience in my body. And again, it was a perfect storm. My skills had come together. My body had come together as well because of the work that I'd done in the lead up to that and then have the platform of the IPL and what, the, the way my game had developed. Yeah, it was, a hu- it was an incredible time. Mm. Um, it was an incredible time. I remember ringing my mum and dad after we'd won the the IPL, the first IPL, and just being crowned the the man of the tournament. And I just, you know, I, was, I was in tears because I just never thought that this would there was an opportunity like this would come about because things had just been 
so challenging because as soon as I felt I was going okay, then I'd get an injury, I'd get something that would cut me down. Mm. Um, so that was a huge turning point in my own confidence as well. On the international stage, I had the skills with both bat and ball to be able to make an, make an impact on the game and then sort of things continued yeah, to, to grow from there. I was going to say, 2009-10, best seasons, right? You win the Champions Trophy, you go and play in the Ashes, get your first test time, you average more than 50 in test matches over those two years, AB medal in 2010 and 11. Um, is that prime Watson? Is that peak Shane Watson? It, it was. Um, yeah, phys- physically as physically and, and mentally, technically as well, it was just, it was absolutely. Yeah, it was everything that I worked so so hard to be able to be in that position. I felt batting and bowling, I could make an impact. Um, I had the skills to be able to make an impact consistently. Physically, I stated, I, I, I don't think I missed a game. I hardly missed a game for those two years as well. So it was just, yeah, there, there's no doubt. And the thing the thing that I, re- I realized looking back is one mentally where I was at, I was at a, at a place where I was just had absolute freedom in my mind. I, I Because things have been so challenging and it felt like they were close to being taken away from me the previous sort of four or five years. Yeah. I was just like in total, like I was in celebration. I was like, I can't believe I'm getting this chance to do this. This is just amazing. And that's how I approached batting and bowling. That's how I approached opening the batting in test matches. And I was just like, I'm just going to take them on. I don't care if I get out. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And then over, over the couple of years, that's where you start to, even from a mental point of view, start to rain, oh, geez, I missed out in a couple of games. I've got to pull it in a bit now. Gosh, I need to make sure I don't get out. And that's where things start to shift. And mm. they did shift. Um, so, but yeah, I look back and that those two years, as an all-rounder, bat and ball, that was, yeah, that was incredible. It would have been amazing to be able to keep that going for a, a bit longer as an all-rounder. But, but now I've been able to, yeah, reap the benefits of those different life um, experiences and, and lessons that I learned to be able to still have some longevity and performances over the last four or five years after retiring from international cricket. Well, those skills were on show in the 2012 T20 World Cup. You were playing at the tournament. You get four, four men in the matches in a row. Uh, I think you wrapped up the trophy before they even got to the knockout stages. Um, what are your reflections on that tournament? Straight eventually didn't win it. But uh, for you, does, does that sort of cement your place as one of the better T20 players in the world? Yeah, that was, I just know that was around a time where I was at my peak. Yeah. Batting, bowling, I was opening, I was, and the opportunities that I, that I got, I was opening the bowling, um, I was taking the first over. So the, when the ball was swinging, I was opening the batting in Sri Lanka, the best time to bat. So the opportunities that I got were, I was very fortunate in that regard. But the thing that really like stands out to me about that tournament is just how disappointed I was that we didn't we didn't play better more consistently yeah. throughout the, throughout that tournament. And that's the one thing that I do look back at um, Australia's T Twenty cricket is like I this is my belief is we didn't really take it serious enough to go. You know what? We really need to pick our like our best team. No, no, whether as whether it was. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no, like, there's no favourites. There's no like we should pick him. It's just make the makeup of the best team that you possibly could, and whether because um, yeah, whether it was yeah, just picking the right people in the right positions as well. Like those are the things, and that's where the 2012 T20 World Cup. Personally, it was it was a highlight. There's no question to be able to play so well for a good chunk of that of that tournament. Mm. Of course, the disappointment of us not being able to really, you know, finish finish it off with the the, the talent 
the T20 talent and world-class talent that we had in the Australian team and Australian, Australian cricket in general, we just never were able to really piece that together. Do you mean um, in terms of picking the players, like should have gone more to picking T20 specialists or were you just thinking that Australia were picking the best players and trying to make them fit in the team? Yeah, that's, I think that's more so what we had. They were picking T20 specialists. There's no, there's no doubt about that, but it's more so just fitting a piece of the puzzle together more. Yeah. Because just because you've got um, four of the best top order batsmen in the world, doesn't mean that fits into (laughs) the right team balance. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And and that is a ch- that's one of the challenges. That's the um, in Australian cricket. That's been one of our you know, incredible assets that we've had is the the quality of our top order batting in especially in T Twenty cricket. Mm. But then, how does like how does that fit into like a balanced T Twenty team? Because everyone yeah you know, different situations in the game require different skills. Mm. So and that's that's one of the challenges that you know Australian cricket um, the Australian teams faced in T Twenty cricket to be able to find that to find you know, those pieces of the puzzle that you, that you need to have to give yourself the best chance. doesn't guarantee anything, but you just want to give yourself the best, you know, the best chance that you can. When you look back at that 2016 campaign, had David Warner batting at four. Again, we had what, three of the four best uh, openers in the world. Uh, you couldn't, I mean, Aaron Finch didn't play the first two games. He was the number one T20 mm. batter in the world, but I guess mm. it's just trying to get all the pieces to fit together. Um, 2013, yeah. touched on this a little bit before, but... Uh, <laughs> There was a month there or so, Sean. I'm not sure if you remember this, but um, <laughs> I remember everything, especially let, the the times, the lessons that you learn the hard way. Let me just, remember, don't forget those. Let me just quickly um, point out some things. So oh, you, please go. You were suspended from a test match. You went home for the birth of your first child, so you're going yep. down up. You come yep. back and you're the test captain, and it all happened in what space of three weeks or so. Yeah. <laughs> It's the beauty of life, isn't it? It's just incredible the the different sort of ups and downs and how quickly those can change as well. Um, yeah, and there, look, there's there's no doubt in around that um, that Indian series was again that was a I look back at that time and that's one of the biggest learnings, best experiences I've had in my life. To be able to see how things can evolve um, and how they do they do evolve at times, and then how quickly they can turn. Yeah. How quickly they can turn around. Um, and yeah, just in around the team environment, things that were, things that were happening. Um, unfortunately, yeah, there's a couple of, there's a couple other guys who were collateral damage for, for me in particular. Um, yeah, especially with Usman, especially with Usman Kawaja and, um, James Pattinson, um, who missed that, who missed that test match as well. But then to be able to fly home, to be able to fly home, see, be fortunate enough, because I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna be home for that. I was gonna play if I was picked. I wasn't gonna play that test match, so yeah. it would have meant that my son would have been born, and I would have flown home and and met him, maybe a couple of days old. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's, it's it is the beauty of life. How you know one one thing that doesn't is incredibly frustrating, disappointing, and and you, I was broken over it. To then come home and I would I would have missed it. To then come back. And it wasn't certainly wasn't a smooth transition to come back. You know, the time that I was in the, um, the time that I was in the hospital with Lee and and my new um, newborn baby Will, like there was some different things that I had to hoops that I had to jump through to even get a chance to be able to get back on the plane to go back for the last test match. So, um, and then I get there, and then I get the tap on the shoulder that uh, Michael's back's not up to it. So, um, yeah, you were your captain. So. <laughs> Are you like? Are you serious? <laughs> are you dead serious? And like, uh, yeah. 
great. Okay. <laughs> it's a great opportunity. Let's go. So, um, but yeah, again, it was just the, the, the different experiences it had. And the, it's just, that is the beauty of life. And that's a, that's the exciting thing for me in life is just how challenges they, they check, they test your resolve. They mm. test what you can learn from them, but then the, the beauty that comes out of, you know, actually making the most of those learning experiences and how quickly, how quickly things can turn around. They don't always turn around that quickly, but that was a very obvious one that it went from suspension, newborn baby to then, the first and only time I captained Australia test match. One of the few people who have captained in all formats, I think. So uh, for Australia anyway, mm. so mm. hang your hat on that one. Uh, then Mickey gets sacked. Buff comes in 2013 Ashes, Australia lose three nil. Then back in Australia mm. and you whitewash England five nil. Uh, was that, it might not be the best team you played in because you've mentioned some of the greats that you mm. play with, but in terms of a team all firing at the same time, was that <laughs> sort of at, at the peak there? Yeah, for sure. Um, of course, like there's a couple of times that really stand out, like being involved in a team like 2007 World Cup. That was you could just you could, you knew that something was very special because you had you know some of the world's best players at their peak. There's no question. The 2009 World Cup, uh, sorry, t- the Champions Trophy that we won, that was a very special achievement for us as a as a team because we'd lost a lot of the great players. We still had Ricky Ponting there. Brett Lee was still there but we'd lost all the other great players who played in the 2007 World Cup. So that was an amazing achievement. But then to be able to, to have all those, other, all those great players not, um, not in our squad anymore, in the team anymore, that, yeah, the 20, um, 2013-14 Ashes series at home, mm. that was a perfect storm. Everyone was just, everyone was at their peak. Yeah, as simple as that. Just about every, everyone was at their peak. Bowlers, batters, the team dynamic was just... Buff was a, the perfect person to come in at that time just to be able to... Just to pull the ship together again. And he did a phenomenal job of that. He, he was a perfect person for that situation that with everything that had been going around just to go, you know what, this is how we do it. Because yeah. I know this is how we do it and just pulled it all together. And that was just the culmination of just... Yeah, that was... To be able to travel around during that test series around Australia, that was a that was really one of the first times, personally and collective, around the around the um, team, that everyone was like everyone was supporting us. Everyone, there's no, there's no, there's nothing, not a bad word said. No, like nothing at all. It was phenomenal to to be able to just be around that. So that was very special. And, and the same thing was around the 2015 World Cup as well. That that sort of feel of the team, you just. There's times where you can just sense, even before the tournament starts, yeah. oh, I just got a feeling. It's hard. You can't articulate. It's like, just got a sense. It's, it just feels right. I know it's like a perfect storm. And there's been so many times where you just feel that. And it's just, you know, you're, you're fortunate enough to be a part of, of that sort of entity that sort of takes its own, its own sort of energy and just and imparts itself on the world. Yeah, that 2015 World Cup, uh, what was it like being out there? when Steve Smith hit the winning runs and Australia wins the World Cup. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's the ultimate. That's what I... Because I always knew for the previous 10, 10 or 12 years that Australia did have a World Cup in 2015 and that obviously that seemed a long way off. But And I thought, God, imagine if I could still be playing for Australia at 34 and be a part of a World Cup at home and, and might, like have a chance to win a World Cup at home. At the MCG on that date, he's like, gosh, that is what dreams are made of. So then to be out in the middle when 
yeah, when when St- when um, Steve hit those winning runs, like that is my most cherished moment. That photo of myself and and Smudge is yeah my most cherished um, yeah moment. And that's the one like in my in my house. I don't have any like any real memorabilia around it all, apart from a couple of little stray the special trophy, just a couple. But the one thing that I have is an amazing painting of that moment of Smudge and I. Yeah, right. It's the only thing. The only thing that is, is just it is. Every time I like walk past it, I see it. It's just that that moment in time is something that you, yeah, you you only ever dream of, and to be a part of it was was incredibly special. Fantastic. The uh, I guess the last moment we're going to touch on. You were wearing yellow again. Uh, this one's in the um, IPL final of 2018 with Chennai Super Kings. Uh, how many clubs? Two two clubs you represented in the IPL. Three, Rajasthan. yeah, three. I had uh, Rajasthan and then uh, two years with RCB. RCB, right, right, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, yeah, uh, and, and then CSK. And then CSK, uh, hundred in the final. Uh, can you just explain that experience? I mean, that was that really is like the icing on the cake, right? Yeah, well, yeah, there's no doubt it was. Um, but the previous, like the, the two years before, I played in the, the final for RCB and I absolutely gave my all, but I had an absolute shocker. Mm. And because of the overs that I bowled and where I batted and the sort of middle order towards the back end of the game, I absolutely stuffed it. I went for 60 in my four overs. Ben Cutting got a real hold of me. Um, Again, I was trying my absolute best, maybe trying, maybe trying too hard because I just wanted to perform well. Um, and then my batting, I got out a really bad time against the Fizz at a time where I just need to get through. So, like, I felt solely responsible for that loss. And that was RCB. They were a great franchise. It was a, it was a perfect storm in that regard, the team that we had. And primarily because of me, we didn't, like, we didn't win it. So I had like that sort of bearing on me for the next couple of years. And then the chance to be able to play for CSK in the final um, was just, okay, I want to try and make amends. I'm not going to try any harder, but just what I learned technically, but then from a mental perspective, okay, I need to be in a better space to be able to try and have more chance of being able to perform better, perform well, hopefully match winning, but not stuff it up like I did for RCB. So, and that was just, that was it. Why it was even more special because the previous, the previous experience where I did stuff it up for RCB. So for me to be able to um, evolve and then have the chance an opportunity like CSK gave me at that stage of my career. And it was just, it was, it was a, yeah, it was a perfect storm. That's yeah. You wish you could have those innings all the time in, in, in finals. And it definitely doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't happen hardly ever at all when because you can't pick and choose when you score runs mm. you want to do well all the time but you can't pick and choose that oh, it's a fine okay well i want to score i'm going to score runs today well there's so many outside factors that can take that away from you so for it to actually for little moments in that game which allowed it to be my time miss hits went into the into the gap um a few player misses that sort of thing it, it was just yeah, you know, it, was, it was just meant to be my time of that and i yeah, you know, it was it was very special, um, especially with uh, having Stephen Fleming, working with Stephen Fleming for the first time, which was an incredible experience. He's the best coach that I've, that I've worked with, no, hands down. He's got the cricket understanding inside out because he's an, he's an incredible player. But like, mental skills, man management skills is just is 
is incredible. Is incredible. So the balance that he's got, the blend that he's got, is phenomenal. So to have a chance to work with him and and work with MS Doni for the mm. first time, only ever playing against him and giving him giving me nothing as he gives no. He's just the ice man on the field, so he doesn't like says good game and that's it. <laughs> Picks up the stump after they win and and says good game. <laughs> so to be able to actually you know, get to know him and and play with him was that's a you know there's so many different. So many experiences I've had through my career, and I'll, I'll look back once I stop playing. Just go, I can't like I can't believe I had all these so many varying um, experiences. But yeah, so so fortunate to be able to meet so many incredible people at the top of their game. Shane, it's a brilliant career, and you would have played against some of the best players in the modern era. Which leads us into our next segment called <laughs> "Best of Enemies." Now we ask okay. you, we've asked you to put together your combined best test eleven from players you've played against, but you couldn't narrow it down to 11. So you've got a squad. No. Yeah, I've got a squad. Because look, and because the last thing I ever, ever want to do is offend anyone by leaving them out because there's so many great players who... You're not offending anyone here, mate. Oh, good. yeah. No, but I, I absolutely don't want to. So I've just... Okay. My squad is... <laughs> yeah, look. Okay. My first, it is Raul Dravid, Graham Smith, Jacques Cullis, Sachin Tendulkar, A.B. de Villiers, Kevin Peterson, Andrew Flintoff, M.S. Stoney, Stuart Broad, Dale Stain, Graham Swan, uh, James Anderson, and Kumar Sangakara. It's a pretty impressive squad. It's a squad. Uh, um, um, no particular batting order. No particular batting order. Just the, yeah. And, you, and yeah, I was so, again, I was so fortunate to be able to play against, against these guys at their at their absolute, at their peak, well, just about at their peak. Freddie Flintoff, I, I played against him in one day cricket when he was at his peak, but, um, you know, 2009 Ashes was the time where I, I played him and he, um, you know, his knee was giving him some prob- problems, but still that was one. Of, I, I look back at that time where I faced him in my first test match opening the batting. Yeah. That is one of the best experiences I've had in my life. Right. Was, yep. Just knowing how he bowled in the uh, 2005 Ashes, how he dominated just from a, from a bowling perspective alone to be able to open the batting against someone who bowls like that with his pace and his bounce and his different angles. Yeah, that was, and yeah, and I idolize him because he was everything that I wanted to be. He was everything I wanted to be. Um, yeah. So that was, yeah, a really cool experience. Did you have Collie in that list? No, I didn't. So Collie's in. That's how much I've thrown. My, my apologies to Virat Kohli. Jeez <laughs> Louise. I obviously haven't thought about this long enough. So Virat Kohli. Well, you gave me you gave me Sids. Coley wasn't in Sids's. I know that's true. He uh, he's middle order of Sangakara, Tendulkar, Devilliers, and Callis. It's it's tough to squeeze in there, isn't it? Oh yeah, well Coley squeezes in there for sure. Yeah. Gosh, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that's absolutely don't want to. He's yeah. Gosh, he's dominated every time I've played against him. Oh, far out. <laughs> how can I forget? How can I forget him? Thanks for bringing that up. You've you've saved me there because. Yeah, he squeezed in there. He squeezed past just about everyone. <laughs> you said that uh, yeah. Freddie was that that spell um, and facing him in the 2009 Ashes was really tough. Who was the toughest consistently you faced at Test match level? Oh, Dale Stain. Yeah. Oh, he was so good. I felt like he never bowled me a bad ball. <laughs> felt like every ball was at you. It was swinging late. It, yeah, he never bowled a ball that wasn't where he wanted it to be. And he had amazing skill. He had great pace. He sustained his pace like throughout a whole day, throughout a whole test match, throughout a whole test series. Yeah, I found him the most the most challenging. He was 
phenomenal. And what about from a, as you as a bowler, who was most difficult to bowl to? Every bats, every batsman on their day. There's no no question, especially the great the great batsmen. Oh, it's hard, it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint one in particular because like everyone on their day, you just felt like you had to bowl it absolutely perfectly. Otherwise, they'd hit you wherever they wanted, and that and that's and that's all. Then that's whether that's Raul Dravid, whether that's like Graham Smith when he was at his, at his best, Tendulkar, Coley, Ab De Villiers, any of those guys when they're when they're at their peak, which they were just about all the time yeah. they were a guy they were the guys where if you made a slight error it was slightly not where you wanted to bowl it or your pace was slightly down or you're a little bit low on the crease so it was a bit skiddier like they just hit it wherever they wanted <laughs> is there a player that you didn't get a chance to play against that you really would have liked to test your skills against that's a very good question yeah absolutely i would have i'd have loved to have faced was a mac Graham in a test match would love to have that would have been like and opening the batting ball swing at pace 150 k's each way out of that would have been uh, no doubt like he bowled to me in the nets when i played with him as my mentor at um, psl for zambad united he bowled to me in the nets with rubbers he was still so skillful it wasn't obviously at that fast like relative to what he bowled but geez so yeah he was the other one other two would have been courtney walsh and Curtly ambrose oh yeah like they never like everything was bouncing up around your throat. <laughs> um, yeah, that would have been those two guys in particular. And I remember like Ricky Ponding, the nineteen ninety six World Cup, going out with a cap on to yeah. those guys. Like you know what? I know that they're that good. They're gonna probably get fired up that I've gone out without you know not respecting them and more and more a cap. And they bowled short to him because that's what he wanted and. That's how good he was. <laughs> he just took the game on. So those two guys would have been, yeah, fascinating better face as well. All right. We're going to finish off with your career quiz. What out? Uh, we've got 10 here for you. Like we said, should get 10 out of 10 for this. So let's see how we go. Uh, now, you made your Australia debut in March 2002. First South African Centurion. Australia won by 45 runs. Who was named man of the match? Gosh. One well, the thing that I remember more than anything is Lance Klusner just smacking the daylights out of me, hit me in the stand. Um, I don't know for some reason Damian Martin just comes to mind. Jimmy Ma made ninety five. There you go, my mate, my Queensland mate, Jimmy Ma. Jimmy Ma, you made two and none for twenty one. Yeah, I so started my first three overs. I think went for eight, and then Lance Klusner just helped himself. All right, now you made your Test debut in two thousand and five. One of five players who debuted that year for Australian Test Match Cricket. Can you name the other four? Nathan Horitz? Nope. Really? He might have been the year before. So 2005? Yep. Sean Tate? Yep. Oh, gosh. This is, yeah. I'm not getting 10 out That's <laughs> um, Michael Clark? Was he 2004? So this is 2005, right? Oh, after me. I should know. I should know these, the numbers straight after me. Mm. Mike Hussey? Yep. Two to go. Gosh, nut. Nah, I'm lost. Brad Hodge so and Phil Jakes. Yeah, I wouldn't have got those. Yeah. In your 307 international appearances, mm-hmm. who was your most regular teammate? <laughs> These aren't easy questions. <laughs> You've done well to get those stats. You've done well to get those stats. Um, 192 games for this person. Oh, Michael Clark. Michael Clark. You're on the board. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who was the batter you most dismissed in test matches? Who was your bunny? <laughs> I know through I know over cricket who the person I, I got out 
more more often, but not in just test cricket. No, I don't well, know. Who was it overall? All formats. all formats. He hurt me a lot, as in he scored a lot of runs off me as well and hit a lot of big sixes off me as well. But for whatever reason, my matchup with Chris Gale was yeah. someone who, just because of the way I bowled, was a, a decent matchup for um, against him. But again, he had a lot of good days against me as well. In test matches, it was Murali Vijay four times. And really? Harbhajan and Moffat Cabria three times. Is that, a, is that Cabri ball that swung around and clipped his top off, top of off? Was that one of the better balls you bowled? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how that, yeah, I'm not sure how it swung that much. <laughs> Just got on the right side, right side of the ball. It was total conventional swing. It was only shining the ball. So it was <laughs> just round the wicket. It was just, yep, that was. <laughs> okay. So you got Morley Vijay out four times test cricket. Who got you the most in tests? I think Stuart Broad. Yep. Stuart Broad and his mate, James Anderson, eight times each. I suppose you played a lot of Ashes cricket. Makes sense. Okay, in your test career, what is the higher number? Six as you hit or number of times you're out LBW? This is not a sledge. This is just numbers very similar. I'll take it, I'll take it as a sledge. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know I got out LB. That was my number one mode of dismissal. So I'll, I'll go the nice route. I hope, hopefully it's sixes. It's sixes. Yeah, oh, thanks, mate. By far. 31 sixes, 29 LBs. Thanks, mate. <laughs> got to get it some way. That's right. What was your highest score in a 50-over World Cup and who was it against? It's like 95 or 97 or something like that against Canada at Bangalore. That's pretty good. 94, Canada, Bangalore. Mm-hmm. You were, I think it caught on the boundary too, trying to bring yeah, it up with a six. Got, got greedy, yeah. John Davidson. John Davidson played uh, in that game for Canada. Okay, you're 185 not out against Bangladesh in 2011. Highest score by an Aussie in ODI mm-hmm. cricket. Whose record did you beat? Oh, uh, Matt Hayden, wasn't Matt it? Matt Hayden, correct. Yeah, 181, because I, yeah, he got it at Hamilton, I was his runner. <laughs> 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 For a bit of his thing, I opened the batting with him, we got 60-odd and, and nicked off, and he went on with it, because Hamilton's a beautiful wicket and a small ground. And, yeah, then, because he got hit on the toe, close yep. to his 100. And then it was like, I was the first man out. So it's like, perfect. I'll go and run for him. Happy days. I get to enjoy watching this from afar. Well, watching this right up close. It was brilliant. So you contributed to that 181. You should get some of those runs. No, because there was a lot of runners who contributed to me when I had injuries. <laughs> <laughs> i got a lot of runs with runners when you're allowed to have one. Gosh, hamstring, calf injuries. <laughs> okay. In that 185, did you hit more sixes or hit more fours? That's same. And that's one thing I do. Same old one. 15 each. 15 sixes. Didn't feel like running that day, would I? It was super hot. <laughs> and I just bowled. I bowled with chasing and I'd bowled. So I was, yeah. <laughs> All right. Your, your last question. You've, done, you've come home strong here. Yeah. Those In, first few questions. Gosh. Well, mate, it's a anyway. new ball. It's always the toughest. Yeah, right? it's true. <laughs> true. In the IPL, only three players have been named MVP twice. Can mm-hmm. you name all three? Yeah, Andre Russell. Yep. Son on the Ryan. Yep. And me. Bang. Look at that. Three or four out of. Yeah, not easy, easier question towards the end. Thanks, mate. I think you got the six, six in the last. Yeah, that's pretty good. Six of the last ones in a row. Well done. That's a good effort. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I learned a few things about, about me today. Thanks. <laughs> that, I, that I didn't know. Mate, we've learned a lot about you. You've been very insightful today and really appreciate your time. Um, 
all the best staying in quarantine, teaching the kids, make sure they're not climbing up trees or walls or anything, and make sure you change your password. And uh, for everyone out there, get to t20stars.com. Um, you learn heaps. Uh, definitely listen to the Viv podcast. And I can't wait to hear the Eurovision and Brett Lee ones. Um, mate, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thanks, Wado. Hey, Sammy. Good to chat to you, mate, as always. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.